0: Hi, this is Megan. And Virginia. And we're the co-founders of Rosa Rebellion. And you're listening to Full Service Radio. Recorded live from the lobby of the Lion Hotel in downtown Austin, Texas.
1: moving from this idea of asking for seats at the table and making our own tables. And that was what Rosa Rebellion was, is we're just gonna build our own table, you know? Because there's an exhaustion to constantly having to maneuver your way into spaces that weren't built for you and then the exhaustion of being in that space and having to hold that space for a whole community. Hi, um, my name is Virginia Cumberbatch. I serve as the co-founder of Rosa Rebellion, which is a platform for creative activism by and for women of color. My background and sort of context coming into developing
0: this space is that of a activist, a scholar, and a writer. I'm Megan Harding. I'm the other co-founder. Of Rosa Rebellion, and I come to this space with the perspective of being a civil rights attorney and understanding how you do activism sometimes as your profession, as part of your daily work. There are a lot of things that drive policy and drive change in this country, and there are different mediums that we can do that through. So Rosa Rebellion endeavors to do that through three main mediums, which are publications through documentary style productions that tell our stories in a dynamic way. And then through projects, um, which we launched our first project last year at South by Southwest called Rebel and Rest, which is dedicated to mental wellness for black activists me personally recognizing the toll that this work takes on our mental wellness and wanting to prioritize that we both have functioned within systems right megan as an attorney on
1: both sides of the the coin and me working in institutions institutions that have historically not valued or recognized people of color and then I've been put in positions
0: where I get to utilize resources to dismantle those practices and policies. Now I do civil rights, but I do criminal justice reform. So I bring civil lawsuits against the government. I just started to recognize the mental toll that it was taking on me to work in this system and also be a person of color. I still have a level of secondary trauma that comes with that as I hear people's stories. A lot of my clients are in prison. And then a lot, we have a lot of friends that are activists and advocates, but they were struggling. I recognized that some of them didn't even have basic needs. It was like, where am I going to sleep tonight? What am I going to eat? They were really, really struggling with trying to fight against these systems that were not built for them, that do not want to bend for them. And at the same time, struggling with just basic needs. And so I recognized that there's a real secondary trauma and a real racialized trauma that people go through that we weren't talking about. And I thought it was very necessary to create a space where people could just come be and heal and be rejuvenated and know that like the work that they do really matters, but it's also really important for them to take care of themselves.
1: One of the important pieces around Rebel and Rest is that we're talking to people who are on the front lines. Like there are so many people doing this incredible work on an everyday basis. And it doesn't just take a toll on our mental health. It takes a toll on physical health, on psychological health, on emotional, spiritual health. And, We've been, I think, so conditioned sometimes to be like out on the front lines working for the collective in the community that we don't take the time to realize that if we aren't healthy, if we're not whole as individuals, then the longevity, the sustainability of whatever movement we're a part of, right, suffers as well.
0: doing this work from Austin is important. Austin is obviously a tech hub and a growing city and it's on the top of every list of places to live, but then there is a way that Austin is experienced by people of color historically and today that it is not always talked about and it's not always as visible. But if you go all the way back to the 1928 plan, and I, I have committed to trying to say this as much as I can in as many public forums as I can, because I really want people to look this up and know this history. You know, the city of Austin really built itself in a way that divided people along racial lines. So. There is a neighborhood and it's called Clarksville. Clarksville was really thriving neighborhood. Black families were there and really thriving. And as the city recognized the value of the land, they wanted that land. And so they did things to displace the people who lived there by law. And they moved Black families that were thriving on this land to East Austin. And so you have a history where the city has literally built a divide I-35 in the middle of the city along racial lines. Austin has a convenient narrative, right? The convenient
1: narrative is that we're a green city, the convenient narrative is that we're the most one of the most educated cities in the country, the convenient narrative is we built whole foods and we are a tech hub. And then there's the inconvenient narrative. And the inconvenient narrative is that in our cultural political DNA as a city, It is that of racial division, right? And so we are still grappling with the ramifications of that. The inconvenient narrative is that we are one of the most economically segregated cities in the country of a city our size, right? And I find it difficult to reconcile a city that calls itself liberal, progressive, and innovative if we are also a city of economic segregation, communities experiencing homelessness— And if we were to draw the dots, people who are able to tap into the tech hub, people that are able to tap into the vitality of the city are not black and brown. Well, that means we haven't leveraged that innovation, we haven't leveraged that creativity, and we haven't leveraged that wealth to truly bring equity to our city.
0: It's very important to have personal responsibility for understanding the space in which you occupy and then also honoring the the work that went into tilling that soil so that you could occupy it. It's not really about, you know, these cute bungalows that are on the east side. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, this bungalow is so cute. I want to move over here. There's a real history there. Even
1: the infrastructure, right? Like when... Black people were removed from West Austin to East Austin. East Austin, there was a reason why no one was living there because it was difficult to build on, right? So it wasn't buildable. It's actually where all the trash dumps were. It's where the refinery was. It was a very hilly part of the city. So it's where all the runoff was, right? And so like the when you think about it, it's like the work, the physical work that actually went into making that space inhabitable, right? And then you come in, 30, 40, 50 years later, that work's been done, and now you get to build your million-dollar home. It's less about the economics of gentrification, and it's more about the psychological and sort of emotional connection. We can't just talk about tacos and Lake Austin. We also need to talk about how we have served to displace people socially and physically and culturally the woke culture in some ways has simplified and perhaps undermined like real work taking place because we feel like wokeness right there's like a barometer of wokeness and like wokeness is like yeah i knew what hashtag to use and like wokeness is like i retweeted that you know and then wokeness is like i shop local you know and wokeness is like yeah when i can i like say hi to my black neighbor I don't necessarily know if we just need allyship. Sometimes that feels stagnant. Sometimes that doesn't feel like enough. But like, I would love a fellow agitator, right? And agitation means you have to be educated, right? Agitation means you actually have to take on responsibility and part of the hard work. That is a little bit of the impetus of creating Rose Rebellion, which is like giving space to Black, Brown, Indigenous, women to be able to speak their truth without it being the burden on them to
0: educate everyone around them. A lot of times what I see with white people is that they want the reconciliation without the work. They want the forgiveness without the repentance. And so it was really, really important that people learn that like this unity that you want, especially post-2016 when everyone was like, oh, well, let's just unify, is going to cost you something. It doesn't come for free. And that might mean that you have to lay down your pride. It might mean that you have to be vulnerable about where you actually do have racist ideals. It might mean that you have to let go of things that you always thought were true. And it might mean that you have to step out and take some heat.